Bibles, you can open them to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew 5. We are in the Sermon on the Mount, in the book of Matthew. And what we see in the Sermon on the Mount is what Jesus is doing is restoring the faith. It's like the faith is this painting that needs to be restored to its original beauty. And Jesus is restoring the faith to what God intended it to be. He's saying a lot of times, I'm not giving you something new. I'm just, I'm just restoring what I've always said. I'm showing you what I meant when I wrote the Old Testament. And today we found our, find ourselves in Matthew chapter 5, verse 27. Restoring our view of adultery. Matthew 5, 27, Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. For it's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Now, before we start cutting off limbs, let's pray together, and then let's dive in and talk about this text. Let's pray. Father, we love you, and together we declare that, that we love you, and we know that we love you because you first loved us, that you saw fit to send your son to die for us, that you provided us a way for life eternal, and Jesus said, not only that, but I've come that you might have life abundantly, and we know that your word gives us life. We pray that we would look into this text of scripture about adultery, about a lust, about issues of our heart, and that we would find freedom there, uh, that you would show us the, the correct way to love in dangerous places where we should not send our love in this world. And we pray more than anything that we would learn to send our love towards you, and that in that relationship we have with you, we would find fulfillment in life and forgiveness and mercy and grace and beauty. And thank you for this chance to look into your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now, there are ten commandments, right? Does anyone know all ten commandments? I'm going to try to remember all of them right now. And here's what I want to do. I'm going to go through the ten commandments, and I want you to keep a mental tab in your mind of which, like, two or three you feel like are the worst. Like, the worst. Not like, oh, that commandment's the worst. But, like, I, murder, that one's terrible, right? So, commandments. Commandment number one, and I'll probably get them in the wrong order, but there's a commandment that says, you should have no other gods before me. It's one of them. One of the commandments says, don't make any idols. Don't worship anything that's physical or man-made. Worship God alone. He's invisible. Worship him. That's number two. Number three. I know I'm going to forget one. I always forget something, right? Number three is something about not taking the Lord's name in vain, right? We don't take the Lord's name in vain. Don't do that. Number four, God says, what? Honor the Sabbath. Is that number four? Did I miss one? Number four, honor the Sabbath. God says, don't murder anybody, all right? keeping tabs, that might make it on your top three list. But don't murder anybody. God says don't commit adultery. That's a bad thing to do. God says you should not, here I go, this is when I start forgetting things. I should have written these things down. What's another commandment? Honor. Honor your mother and your father. It's the only commandment with a promise that it may go well with you. Honor your parents. A parent, remember that one. Love your neighbors yourself. It's not one of the ten commandments. What's one of the ten commandments? Don't steal. Is that one? Don't give false testimony, like don't lie, and don't covet. He says don't cover your neighbor's wife, don't covet your neighbor's house, don't, don't desire or want or be jealous of anything someone else has, don't covet. So there's the Ten Commandments. Did I miss any? Did we miss any? I mean, we all got it together. Good. All right, now here's what I want you to think. What are the two or three that sticks out to you as like the worst? Like if I do one of those, like that's messed up. 
How many of you think, now, you got to think, what are the two or three? You got them? Okay, how many of you think, no gods before me, that made my top two or three list? Okay, how many, no idols, that made my top two or three list, worst. Good, all right, uh, don't take the Lord's name in vain. Very good. Uh, honor the Sabbath. Honor your, you guys aren't Sabbathists, all right. Honor, that's okay, that's why I'm asking. Honor your mother and father. Yeah, very good, very good, very good. Don't steal anything. Don't murder anyone. All right, look around, that one's big. Don't lie about stuff. This is a paraphrase at this point. Don't commit adultery. Don't be jealous. Don't covet stuff. Good, all right, all right. You're like judging each other based on which one you chose, and I feel like that's one of the... Don't judge isn't one of the Ten Commandments, but that's bad too. That's bad too. That's bad too. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, you've heard that it's been said, do not commit adultery. How many of you have heard that it's been said you should not commit adultery? All right. If you haven't, maybe this is good information for you. Do not commit adultery. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. How many of you did adultery made your top three list? Bad things. Don't do this. Yeah, adultery is a big deal. People in those days would have heard that you should not commit adultery. And adultery, we all know in the Bible, because people bring it up all the time, that when people commit adultery in the Old Testament, what are you supposed to do to them? Stone them, right? We always get people telling us, aren't you supposed to stone the adulteresses? Aren't you supposed to stone the adulterers? And the answer was, in the Old Testament, yes. That that was one of the capital punishment commands, that that was a big one. You're not supposed to do that. And there are a lot of reasons, right? The marriage covenant is a sacred thing. It's a beautiful thing. The marriage covenant is the thing on earth that most shows the image of God to the world around us beyond just our own bodies. That we are as men and as women made in God's image, but really Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 show us that until we unite in marriage, or once we unite in marriage, this beautiful, miraculous union where two human beings become one human being now images God like nothing else in the world. Because God exists in Father, Son, and Spirit, and so there's one God in three persons. In the same way, in a marriage relationship, there is one couple in two persons, and we have different and distinct identities as our wife or as our husband, and yet there's this miraculous union between a man and a woman where we become one together, and it shows the world the mystery of God. And so God says, you don't mess with that. You shouldn't. If you're a man, you shouldn't sleep with a married woman. Women, if you are sleeping with a married man, that's no good because what you're doing is defiling a beautiful covenant between a husband and a wife that images God and you're destroying something very sacred in this world, the covenant of marriage. And Jesus says, hey, you may have heard that it was said, you're not supposed to do that. And so the audience that's listening to Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount probably didn't gasp when he said that. Like, oh, I forgot about adultery. That's a big one, right? They probably said, yeah, we've heard that it was said. He says this, but I tell you, maybe here's something that you haven't heard, that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. The interesting thing about that was that's not necessarily new either. And the word that's translated lustfully there is actually the word for covet. Uh, what Jesus is saying is that anyone who looks at a woman or if a woman looks at a man with covetous eyes, like desiring this person who has another spouse, desiring them as their own, lustfully looking towards them and saying, I want that woman or I want that man to be mine, not his, not hers, that anyone who does that, you've broken a commandment. But you know what? They knew that. 
Now, the 10th commandment was thou shalt not covet. And we knew that. We know you're not supposed to covet your neighbor's wife. And Jesus says, you've heard it said you're not supposed to commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who covets his neighbor's wife has already committed adultery in his heart. The thing that made people gasp, I think, when Jesus said the Sermon on the Mount is probably the same thing that makes people gasp when we talk about this today. Like if you work with high school students and you're explaining this Bible passage to them, you say, hey, just so you know, Jesus said, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who, who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery in his heart. The thing that makes the high school boys gasp is when Jesus says, when you look at a woman lustfully, you've already committed adultery. It's like, <gasps> Adultery, that's, because like coveting, like not a lot of people raise their hand for coveting. It's like, well, we all do that. I saw my neighbor's boat, I want it, covet, right? I saw, oh man, I was walking through the mall, I coveted everything, right? We even say like, I covet your prayers on this. Like, I don't know if that's okay either, right? You're not supposed to covet things, you're not supposed to desire things that aren't your own. And one of the things that explicitly says in the Ten Commandments is, do not covet someone else's spouse, And yet we think that that one is not as big a deal as committing adultery. And yet here Jesus says that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully, anyone who looks at a woman that's not his wife with covetous eyes and breaks the 10th commandment is already broken the 5th commandment or the 6th commandment, whichever one adultery is, in his heart. He's already broken that one. I've worked with high school kids a lot, and that's the question that comes up all the time. Like, wait, hold on. Is looking lustfully at a woman really as bad as committing adultery? If you're not in high school, you probably also wonder that, right? Because there's probably a few people in this room who have walked through the sin of adultery and it's been detrimental and destructive in your life and you've seen how terrible it is. But there's probably a lot of us in this room who have broken the sin of looking at a woman or looking at a man with covetous eyes, right? And so if Jesus is saying that breaking the 10th commandment is as bad as breaking the 6th commandment, the adultery commandment, are we worthy of death? Is that what he's saying, that the gravity is the same? Because you're supposed to stone adulterers? Not anymore. The people listening to Jesus who know that if someone commits adultery, you've read that in the Gospels. This woman gets dragged out because she was caught in the act and everyone wants to kill her for it, right? Are we supposed to treat people who look lustfully at others in that same way? Is it just as bad? Because sometimes we feel like the covet command is the not that big a deal command. But Jesus says, no, 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 you need to understand. Coveting is a terrible thing, especially when you're coveting a a woman or coveting a man or desiring lustfully to go after something that has not been made one with you in the covenant of marriage. Jesus says, you have to understand that once you do that, you've already committed adultery in your heart. Is it as bad? I don't think it is. I don't think that looking at a woman lustfully is as bad as committing adultery, the actual physical act of adultery. And there's two reasons I don't think so. Number one. I think that the reason it's not as bad to covet or look at a woman lustfully, and I think that's not what Jesus is saying, is because when you look at the Old Testament, like I said, both of those commands already existed. You're not supposed to commit adultery. You're not supposed to covet your neighbor's wife. And when you committed adultery, you got killed for it. If you coveted your neighbor's wife, you're just not supposed to, right? There's not capital punishment for it. So when you read the Old Testament, you don't see that you need to be murdered if you're caught looking at a woman or you're looking at a man. They don't just throw rocks at the person, right? So it's not the same level in the Old Testament. Also, it's not the same level in life. Like, if you want to test this, and I don't recommend it, 
<laughs> at any level, but even the one I'm about to say, which is not what you think I'm about to say. Go home tonight, those of you who are married, and, and don't do this, but if you were to do this, think how, just imagine this, imagine this. No one do this, imagine this. Go home tonight, and if you've got a wife there, say, hey, honey, I need to tell you something. I was at the gym the other day, and this girl came in, and I looked at her, and for a second, I'm like, oh, man, like something in my heart, like, longed after her, and then I looked away, I looked away, but I felt like I needed to confess that to you, right? Like, your wife might hit you, like, she might hate you for a bit, right? She might be like, ugh, run, run away. She might be like, are you, what's wrong with you, right? It would be a hard night, it would probably be a hard couple of weeks, right? And I would be, that would be a difficult time because no one wants to hear that their spouse, the person they've given their lives to, is looking outside the marriage covenant to find, to find any level of sexual fulfillment. Any level, right? So that's hard. And then in this imaginary experience that you're not going to do tonight, <laughs> after your wife hits you or after your husband uh, won't hit you, but, you know, whatever. Like, <laughs> say, hey, you know what? Like, since we're just confessing stuff, like I got to say, I, 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 I've also been sleeping with her. Like, gee, you gasped and this is made up, right? Like, there's something terrible about looking outside the marriage relationship for sexual fulfillment. There's something more terrible about seeking physically, going after, having sex with someone who's not your husband or not your wife. That's different, right? If you tell your wife, if you confess to your wife, or you confess to your husband that you've been thinking about another man, or you've been thinking about another woman, or you've been looking at another man, or looking at another woman, you might go to counseling for a little bit. You might have to talk about that for a little bit. That will be hard for a little bit. But if you confess to them that you've been fooling around and actually physically consummating this relationship with someone you've been lusting after, that's hard. That's bigger. That's the like, am I going to stick with this guy question, right? That's when your wife just packs up and takes the kids and she leaves and says, you know what, we can talk about this in a couple months, but I can't be around you right now. That's a big one. And some of you know that. Some of you have walked through that and you've experienced the fallout of that. Some of you have committed adultery and you haven't told your wife or your husband anything because you're scared of what the results will be when you bring it up because you know that Doing something with someone is way worse than looking at someone. We know that. And Jesus says, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery in his heart. So if it's not the same gravity, what is it? I think Jesus is saying that lust and adultery aren't the same gravity. I think he's saying they're in the same category. They're in the same category. And that seems like semantics, or that seems like, well, who, then who cares, right? But, but imagine this. Imagine you go to the doctor for, like, a routine physical. And you do it every year because you want to be healthy, and you work out, you eat right, all that kind of stuff. You, you go, this is an imaginary experiment again. You go to the doctor, and you, and you say, hey, like, I just want to do my routine physical. It's free once a year, so I just want to get my money's worth. I'm paying out the nose for this health care, right? And the doctor says, great. You look good, why don't you do this blood test, this urinalysis, whatever, let's check your levels. And so you do that, and then the doctor calls you and says, hey, there's something weird in your blood work, I want you to come back. And you say, oh, okay, right, so you come back. And the doctor says, hey, I asked you some questions that seem kind of weird, and take some more tests that seem kind of weird, and says, hey, don't be worried about anything, which makes you worried about everything. And then he says, I'm going to call you in a couple of weeks. And so a couple weeks later, the doctor says, hey, come on in, right? And the doctor's like trying to narrow something down, and you don't know what it is, and, and the doctor won't tell you a lot about what's going on, but you know that, that they're looking for something. 
And then finally the doctor says, hey, have a seat. Bring your wife to this appointment. You're like, oh, my goodness. doctor says, hey, uh, I have to let you know that we've been doing some tests and you have cancer. And like that, I mean, some of you have had a doctor say that to you. Like that, that floors you, right? Have what? And your mind starts racing, like, how long do I have? Well, how do I have all these questions that are coming through? And what about my kids? And how am I going to tell this? And is he right? Do I need a second opinion? And, and then, like, as the haze starts to focus in again, the new question that forms on your heart and comes out your lips is, how bad is it? And what you're hoping the doctor's going to say is on the spectrum of cancer talks, like, over here, right? Like, you hope the doctor is going to say, hey, we caught it early. <laughs> you're a healthy person. You've been coming in once a year. That's awesome because we caught this so early and we're going to have to do some surgery maybe or we're going to have to do some chemo or some radiation but we caught it early and so we got to deal with this but we're going to deal with this you're like oh god but what you're terrified is going to happen is the doctor is going to say i don't know how to tell you this but it is bad it's like stage four it's like your lymph nodes it's in your whole body it's all over the place that's why it showed up in your blood work like i don't know how this happened so quickly but you don't have a lot of time left on this planet. Both of those are the same category of conversation. You have cancer, and yet one is like stage zero, stage one, and one is like stage four. I think that's what Jesus is doing with this lust and adultery thing, is trying to focus our minds in and focus our hearts in to show us that sometimes we think that lust isn't a big deal. And sometimes we think that lust is like coveting. Who cares? Like everybody covets, right? It's not adultery. Jesus says, listen, I get it. They're not the same gravity, but they're in the same category. Like lust is the tumor that leads to stage four adultery. That, that's how this thing progresses. That when you go to the doctor and you find out that you've got stage one cancer, you got to do something about it, right? You don't just say, oh, good, stage one. That's not that big a deal. See you next year, right? You find out you've got anything in your body that's wrong like that, and you address it, right? The doctor says, hey, listen, uh, it's just in your hand, which I know there probably isn't a hand cancer, but right? It's in your hand, and, and, and it's been isolated there, so we're going to have to amputate, right? You're like, well, I like my hand. <laughs> you can't take my hand. It's like, and the doctor would say this. Would you rather go through life with one hand or, sorry, would you rather go through life with two hands or would you rather... No. Would you rather go through life with one hand or would you rather die with two hands, right? The doctor's like, hey, we found out what's going on. We're going to have to take out your leg, right? We're going to have to take out your lung. Like, doctor, I don't want to lose my leg. I don't want to lose my lung. He says, listen, would you rather have two legs or die? Would you rather have half a lung or die? You say, well, when you put it that way, cut off whatever you want. I want to live. And Jesus says the same thing about this lust adultery thing. He says, listen, you need to understand that lust is the tumor that leads to adultery. And so if you've got it, you cut it out, right? If there's something in your life that's causing you to lust, you cut it out. You don't say, well, it's just lust. I'll probably not commit adultery. That's like saying, well, it's just stage one cancer. It probably won't progress. It probably will. That's what cancer does. Some of you experience this. You start out looking at porn or whatever. And all of a sudden, you're with a prostitute. You think, how did this progress? One night, you're just walking in the mall. You walk by Victoria's Secret, like, super slow, right? And then, like, that night, you're on the Internet, and you're on porn. You think, I don't look at porn. What's happening? It's progressing. Jesus says that lust is the tumor that causes adultery. It starts to multiply and grow. And so if you've got it, you've got to deal with it. Cut it out. Throw it away. 
Now, he's not really saying cut out your eye and throw it away because you got another eye to look at girls with with your other one, right? He's not really saying if your hand's causing your mouse to click, cut, cut your hand off because now you won't look at porn anymore. You'll use your other hand, right? You'll get one of those like teeth keyboards or something. I don't know. You'll figure it out. You'll figure it out. Because what we want to do is when we've got that tumor of lust in us, it wants to grow and we like it when it grows. And so we let it grow and all of a sudden we're at stage four adultery and we think, how did this happen? He says we've got to deal with it. Deal with it. Like it's a cancer. Last week we talked about that with anger. Yeah, you know what? If you get mad, you're probably not going to murder someone. Probably, right? Look at point, you're probably not going to commit adultery, probably. But the cancer that causes murder is the same cancer that causes, the same cancer that, that anger happens from. And the cancer that causes adultery is the same root in lust. And so when we feel like, well, coveting's not a big deal, it's the 10th commandment, it's like the least important one. We've got to treat it seriously. We've got to find places in our lives where we can say, you know what, I, I need to be aware of when this, like, bug is trying to get into my life. If there's an area of your life that's causing you to lust, you cut it out. If there's something in your life that's causing you to go down a bad path, you cut it out. Boundaries are helpful. Community groups are helpful. Having a party that you could talk to and say, hey, here's where I'm at, that's helpful. But when we try to just manage it and hide it and pretend like it doesn't exist, the cancer keeps growing. Jesus says, you're going to have to take drastic measures sometimes because You need to understand it's not like lust isn't a big deal and adultery is. It's the same disease. It's just more fully formed. Jesus' half-brother James wrote a book in the New Testament, and and he said, this is how sin works. God doesn't, like, tempt you or something. What happens is you've got this lust in your heart that wants something, and, and when it gets that thing, it conceives that desire, sin is born. And he says, and when sin is fully formed, it brings forth death. That we have these lusts in our bodies, these like desires that we have. And some of them are good, and some of them are terrible. And the scriptures kind of tell us which ones we should follow and which ones we should run away from. And and when we choose the wrong ones and we go after them, and we say, you know what, I want sexual fulfillment. I'm going to get it in that random girl over there, or in that prostitute, or in that guy that I just hooked up with last week. And we think, oh, that'll be fun. Then all of a sudden, you wake up the next morning, and it's like, Ugh, right? And then it becomes in a pattern in our lives, and all of a sudden it moves from just uh, to death. And we see this sometimes literally, right? People get diseases and they die. And, and yet sometimes it's more figurative, right? We feel like we're nothing. We feel like we're worthless. We feel like we're used because this lust thing has grown in us, and we feel like we, we've got nothing to offer anymore. Jesus says it's a big deal. I cut it out. And the beautiful thing is those of you who have followed Christ for a while, you you know that the best way to get clean of this stuff is to come to the Lord and let him cleanse you. That when we come to the Lord and we're dirty and we say, God, I I messed up. God, I just keep doing this. I don't know how to get out of this. God, please forgive me. He does. And he wipes you clean and he washes you off and he puts on new clothes on you, right? That's how the Bible pictures it. And he clothes you in white and he makes you pure and he says, you're my child and don't worry about your sin. I'm cleaning it off, right? And that's how God deals with it. And God makes you pure and holy because his son died for your sins. And we know that and we love that. And yet for some of us, we just keep sliding back into it again. And we just, we start believing this lie that now... Maybe I'm not a Christian, or maybe I'm not a good person, or maybe I'm not holy, or maybe God won't forgive me anymore, or whatever, because 
I can't get out of it. And wherever you're at with this stuff, first step is go to Jesus. We've got communion tonight. That, that's a time where Jesus says, you need to remember one very important thing. My body was given for you. My blood was poured out for you. You are not responsible for cleaning yourselves up to get access to God. I did all that work. Just come and, and consume me and I will make you clean. That's where we go. We don't just work really hard to not be lustful anymore because you know what? We're probably still going to be lustful tomorrow, right? What we do is we come to Christ and we say, Jesus, I need your forgiveness. I need your cleanliness. And I need your strength and your help. And I need you to lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from the evil one. I need you to walk with me because I keep going down the wrong path. And he does. And yet at the same time, I think we need to have an accurate view of what these desires God has given us are for. Love and and a sexual desire, that's a beautiful thing that God has given us to experience within the covenant of marriage. And that is why we have this desire in us, right? You hit puberty, people used to get married at like 13 in the first century, right? Now there's like 20 years where you're single after you want to be with someone. And so we've got this long period of time that we have to not do what our body's telling us to do and trust that what the Lord says is if you don't do these things until you're married, you'll have more freedom and fulfillment in your life. Trust me, right? And so we have to trust him. And then when we enter into a marriage relationship, the battle becomes staying intimate with our spouse. Because then we start to drift from the person that we're with because there's something that comes in and perverts our desires. And a pure desire is I, I want to be a, a, a wife or I want to be a husband or I want to have a wife, I want to have a husband, and I want to experience intimacy in the covenant of that marriage relationship. There's a pastor named Tim Keller who, who refers to sexual intimacy as the covenant renewal ceremony of the marriage relationship. That when you are intimate with your husband or when you're intimate with your wife, what is happening is you're remembering the union, the supernatural union God has made between the two of you. And so it's one of those things that we need to make sure that we're doing within our marriage relationship and make sure we're not perverting outside of our marriage relationship because sex was designed to help us remember the covenant we have with our wife or the covenant we have with our husband and the covenant we have together with the Lord. It's the covenant renewal ceremony. The communion is the covenant renewal ceremony of Christianity, that we come and we remember what Christ did for us. Sex is the same thing within the marriage relationship. And sometimes, you know, you come to church and you feel like, you know what, I don't want to take communion tonight. I'm mad at God. Or you come and you say, you know what, I don't want to take communion tonight. I'm not worthy to take communion tonight. And you know when you come into this room feeling like that, that there's something wrong in your relationship with God. And so we say every week, you know what, if that's how you feel don't just like leave, like hang out, talk to the Lord and figure out what's going on. Why are you mad at him? Why do you feel unworthy? Do you not understand that he, it doesn't matter if you're worthy, he'll make you worthy. Come and receive the gift of forgiveness and remember that. And sex is the same thing. There's going to be times in your marriage where you don't want to be intimate with your spouse because you're mad at him. Where you're going to feel like, you know what, I, I'm not worthy to be intimate with you. You're so much of a better person than you than me. And you know what, that doesn't mean stop having sex forever and ever. That means you've got a problem there. So talk to your spouse about those things. The New Testament says don't deprive one another except for mutual consent and for a time. You should be intimate with your spouse because God has designed you to experience this covenant relationship. And so if you're in a spouse, you and your spouse don't have any desires to be intimate, there's something wrong. Talk about it. Figure out what it is and then come together. 
Just like communion. Don't think of communion like sex, but just like communion. <laughs> and the beauty of sexual intimacy shows us the reason that we have these desires in our hearts. That God has made us to love and love deeply and love strongly. And when we chase after things hoping they'll fulfill us sexually, they don't. But when we chase after our spouse and we find intimacy, don't chase after your spouse, but when we connect with our spouse and find intimacy with them, it's like, yes, that's, that's what this desire was for. And tonight we're going to take some time before we take communion just to process where we're at with all this stuff. Some of you are in marriages. Some of you have lost marriages. Some of you are in relationships. Some of you have not been in a relationship. Some of you are in a relationship and there's bad stuff going on. Some of you just keep stumbling over and over and over again. Let's take a minute. Let's take two minutes and just sit together and, and think with the Lord, where am I at with these things? Now, do I have this cancer in my life? Where is it? God, is there anything that I might need to do to tear it out and cut it away? Do I need to confess my sin to someone else and pray with them so that I might find healing here? Do I need to talk about this? Do I need to flee from something? God, is, is there a place that I'm coveting someone or something that is not rightfully mine? I'm supposed to be one with my spouse. Am I looking for fulfillment in another woman or another man? Am I fantasizing about another guy at work because he seems like a better guy than my husband? Am I looking upon someone else with covetous eyes, God? And if so, help me to flee from that, God, and help me to find wholeness in you and clinging to you and clinging to the one person that you've given me that I might find a beautiful covenant relationship with. Let's take about a minute in silence, and I'll close this in prayer, and then we'll receive communion together. Let's pray.
Father, we thank you for the way that you forgive us. You tell us that as far as the east is from the west, that's how far you remove our sins from us. If we confess our sins, you're faithful and just, and you'll forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And some of us are wrestling with you and, and feeling that, uh, that we're riddled with that cancer of lust that's growing into things that we're ashamed of. And we thank you that as we come to you, we find forgiveness and you zap all those tumors and you make us clean. Sometimes we feel like it just comes back the next day and comes back the next day. We pray that you would help us to stay clean, that you would lead us not into temptation, that you would deliver us from the evil one, that you would provide us with a community where we can uh, talk about the issues that we're facing and find strength in numbers there, that you would provide us, uh, those of us that you desire to have it with a marriage relationship where we can find uh, intimacy in the way that you've designed and be fulfilled in that way there. And for those of us who are not in a marriage relationship, we pray that you would give us uh, community and strength and faith and wisdom and discernment and protection to keep that destructive power of lust or coveting in any other way out of our lives. Help us miraculously to be people who, who don't lust after women or men, who don't uh, lust after stuff, who don't lust after lifestyles, who don't lust after money, who don't lust after our neighbor's stuff, whatever it is, God, help us to be content Tell us that godliness with contentment is of great gain. And we pray that you'd help us to find that secret. Being able to walk with you and find freedom in you and, and not listen to that voice that tells us that we'll be more free if we run after something that will bring us pain. And we trust you. We know that, that running after sexual intimacy in these other ways, they always brings us pain. And, and it's away from the covenant you have for us. We pray that you would... Help us to find fulfillment within the covenant that you've created for us. And help us to find fulfillment in life within the covenant that you've created with us with yourself. That even as we take communion tonight, we'd remember that we are in a marriage covenant with you. That the cup that Jesus passed around on that Passover night was the marriage cup. We became in a relationship with the living God through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And now we are fulfilled in our relationship with you. We're made one with you, and it's a beautiful thing. We pray that, that we would be men and women who cling to you and find fulfillment in you alone. And we wouldn't look at our spouses for fulfillment. We'd look at you for fulfillment. And then we would run after the things in life that you've told us will bring us joy and freedom, and that we would run away from the things that will bring us pain and heartache and, and terror, and that you would help us to have the wisdom to know which is which. We pray that you would continue this conversation with you in our hearts, even as we leave tonight and walk through our week, that you would keep us from temptation and deliver us from evil. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.